All right, let's kick it off right now and talk about sky-high insurance rates in British Columbia. My guest is Tony Giaventu. He is the CEO of the Condominium Owners Association of BC. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Tony. Hey, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks a lot for doing this. So now there's a, what's this news conference about today? Because I know you're kind of in the loop on this and you kind of already know what's going on, right? Uh, well, BC Financial Services, who are responsible for the overview of the basic um, stability and solvency of insurance in BC, um, are doing a news conference on the, um, basically the information gathering that they have done over the past couple months through the insurance brokers and through um, reporting across the province. What are you anticipating today? Uh, I think we'll I think we'll hear much of what we already know, yeah. um, and what we already know is that for you know certain groups of insurers, um, certain groups of types of properties that have high ratios of um, of claims or ha- that are higher value or bigger properties that they're. Um, increases are, you know, substantial. That we yeah. that their deductibles have increased substantially. It's it's interesting because across BC we have about thirty two thousand strata corporations. Um, BC has the highest ratio of strata title property in the country, so it's it's, oh. it's almost impossible to compare it with another area. And as a result, what we have is a really high level of pressure on the insurance industry. Um, that compounded with our earthquake earthquake risk on the coast older aging properties, um, claims that seem to be arising on new buildings that are less than five years old that are really construction claims, not insurance claims. All of these compounded uh, that with a combination of a hard insurance market um, and shortage of insurance suppliers have put a lot of upward pressure both on pricing and on the deductible. Okay. So, yeah. how, much, uh, how much have rates gone up? Well, it depends on where you are in the province, and it depends on the size of your building. Um, their, their press release has just shown that the um, that less than thirty percent of the properties have seen a, an average of a fifty four percent increase. Um, uh, but oh. but and, and if that was the case, people in the lower mainland would be really really happy. The they'd pro- be happy the with fif- is, they'd be happy with fifty four percent only fifty four percent. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Because we have we have pro- we have communities around the lower mainland, even in Kelowna and, and Victoria, that have seen increases as high as three and four hundred percent. Oh, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, the cost oh. is just exponential, and th- there are a lot of factors in that. I-, I think one of the I think one of the factors that I think the that we- that no one's really paid attention to is whenever you have an incredibly high priced real estate market, the costs of reconstruction, the cost of insurance, the cost of covering these claims also exponentially follows behind within a year or two. And that, and if you look at other markets in the world, the same situations have occurred historically. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do with the upward pressure on value. Um, it, it, the other, the other challenge we have, our legislation has a quirky condition to it in that the strata corporations have to ensure for the full replacement value of all the common property, common assets and fixtures built by the owner developer. So when we're looking at a lot of the high-end buildings that we've seen in our metro, our metro cities um, in our capital districts, um, what we're looking at are buildings um, where finishings within units are often between three and five hundred thousand dollars. And so hmm. within these high-end units, the strata has to insure for this. So we've burdened the entire obligation of the insurance onto the strata corporation, which has really increased the value, the cost, and the risk of the properties because. You know, let's face it, when you have a flood in a building, what gets affected 99% of the time are all of the units and all of the fixtures and furnishings. 
and that's, okay you and me- that's you, you mentioned you burden. mentioned uh, yeah. you mentioned tony that that insurance rates are are rising or rising claims even on new buildings how does that happen yeah, you, how do you have a new building yeah even on new buildings when you have a construction failure a piping system that's failed or an installation problem with we've seen a, a building recently that had shower diverters that weren't properly installed and by time the owners discovered what was going on there was damage to five suites that was within the first six months of the construction of this building that ended up getting filed as an insurance claim that was really a warranty construction claim well yeah um, what's you know? up with and that so yeah and so so that's something that's something else that um that um through bc housing consumer protection are looking at um because those those they automatically because you're the strata and you own the property that's fine we do this but you need to step back and say wait a minute this building's under warranty this is a warranty failure. Why are we burdening the expense of this? And why okay. is the expense of this getting layered onto our future liabilities? Right. What is the impact of this on everyday people? Like for people who own a condo, who are looking maybe to buy a condo, people who are serving on a strata corporation, what, what's the impact? Every day, it's, well, it's your renewal, first off. When does our renewal come up? Um, at least a month, if not two months in advance of the um, um, of the um, types of um, um, your insurance renewal. When you're doing that, t- um, you need to start working with your broker almost immediately. Um, I had an email from Estrada this morning whose um, um, broker sent a letter to their property manager advising them as of July 1st, they can't replace their insurance. They got the letter this morning. Um, they needed that letter when it was sent at the end of May, so they had a month to look at all the alternatives and look at other other brokers. Um, that, that's another little bit of the problem right now. For the average strata council and homeowner, that renewal date is absolutely critical, and you need your strata council needs to directly talk to your insurance broker. Okay. Find out what's going on. What's our renewal? What are our renewal likelihoods? What's our claims history? That's, that's another thing that strata's need to look at closely. Your claims history is going to directly affect your renewals, your renewal ability and your cost. Okay, I'm just taking a look at some of the, the coverage on the news conference that's happening right now. Tony, the BC Financial Services Authority, they report out today that BC's condo insurance market is unhealthy. Really? No kidding. It saddled owners yeah. with <laughs> it is saddled owners with uh, sudden increases in in rates. Wow. Okay, this is good to know. I think we already knew that. Let's talk about the overdose death rate that we're seeing in British Columbia now. Shocking numbers released by the BC Coroner's Service. In the month of May, British Columbia recorded 170 illicit drug overdose deaths. That's the highest monthly mortality total ever recorded in British Columbia. That works out to an average of 5.5 deaths per day what is driving this is it the pandemic with people forced to self-isolate maybe people using drugs alone the border restrictions is that impacting the drug supply uh, in vancouver we have a dangerous drug supply in the city are there other factors that we should be aware of let's check in now with laura shaver she is a member of the board at vandu the vancouver area network of drug users and i'm very pleased to welcome her to the show hi laura Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks a lot for doing this. Can you tell me a little, what does Vandu, for people who are not familiar with that, what do you guys do there? Um, so Vandu is a, the Vancouver Network of Drug Users. It's a harm reduction um, facility as well as it's um, an overdose prevention site, so it's where people can go and use their, um, what we are seeing is extremely changed, um drugs right now. 
Um, yeah, I believe that um, it's both the pandemic and, um, you know, just the lack of, um, you know, safe supply and people being self-isolating. It is, it is forcing them to, you know, as well as the borders being closed. It yeah, seems you- like, um, you know, th- this is the craziest I've ever seen it. Like you said, there's that means there's five people a day in B.C. dying. Yeah. It's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. I've never seen anything like it before. Yeah, it is terrible. Uh, are you are you using drugs now yourself? Um, yes, actually, I am. Um, I've been actually quite lucky to be able to access the safe supply. Um, so instead of having to, um, you know, be out every day accessing the change to illicit drugs, I've been a little bit lucky being able to um, be on a, a prescription. Um, of called okay. Dilaudid, which is, um, uh, uh, I guess it's a prescription opiate. Yeah. Um, still being, though, many people are still, um, you know, though the prescriptions are, are available to some people, those that are self-isolating are still having an extremely hard time um, accessing them to their doctors, so they're still having to be on the streets. And with a lot of the SROs being being closed, which means the um, the places where most of the people live down here, down here, if they're not on the streets, um, are are having to use a loan more than they ever would. Right, right. The um, the government has talked about making that safe drug supply available, as as you mentioned, and I guess some people like yourself have been able to access it. But uh, the last numbers I looked at, there were an estimated five thousand. Inter- intravenous drug users on the downtown east side. And what percentage of those of those people do you think have been able to access safe supply of drugs? Oh my goodness, uh, I would Not have to say barely, but there's barely any other number. You right. know, and I know that it's it's been a great effort for it, but but the point of people just pe- people being able to access it is just it's 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 not good enough. Yeah. Um, especially when people are living on the street, they definitely don't. I'm sorry. Um, so, y- you were addicted to her- you were addicted to heroin for a number of years, right? Yes, many years, and actually, yeah. I'm still um, I, I'm still you I'm still using. Yeah. Um, but I ex- because of the different work that I do with um, the BC Center on Substance Use and the British Columbia Association of People on Opiate Maintenance. You know, I've been a little bit luckier being able to, you know, have access to the safe supply, you know, and moving me further and further away from the illicit drug use as well as I have a partner that has an extremely compromised immune system, which makes, um, you know, made it even easier for me to have a doctor accept, you know, the reasons why I needed to have safe supply so I wasn't having to access, you know, a pharmacy every day. Or being out, you know, having to, um, you know, go out and uh, try and access an even, you know, even worse, you know, tainted drug supply than ever. Um, let, let me ask you about that. Let me ask you about the tainted, the tainted drug supply that's available on the street. So, what is what is your, what is that like? Like, it's it's basically there. Is there more fentanyl in the drug supply now? Is that why it's more dangerous? So. Actually, right now, what it is is there's more benzodiazepines in it. Mm. So it's like, um, you know, um, they're mixing kind of like, you know, uh, almost like a volume 
type of a drug or, or something like that into with the fentanyl, which is making it even even worse. So it's not just the fentanyl now. It's now what they're also mixing in with that, which is making it even more deadly. And because of the fact that um, naloxone, which is what they, you know, the first responders and us would use to bring somebody back from an opiate overdose or a fentanyl overdose, um, it doesn't it doesn't react the same. So right. it's harder to bring somebody back from an overdose with what they're mixing in with the fentanyl now. Right. When with the with the drug supply being so dangerous, when you see people like when people are still using like the, a toxic drug supply, do a lot of people know the risk they're taking? Like, why do people continue to use when the when the drug supply is so dangerous? Is it just the grip of the addiction? What's the explanation? It is because of the fear of withdrawal. It's the actual yeah. the, the withdrawal is a physical, not just a mental addiction. It's a physical addiction. So people are people are are, are scared to to have to go through that. Sometimes that it you know it, it and especially when they're you know they're living they're living on the street. Yeah. They don't want to be sick. Which when you're sick, which means you can be throwing up. You can you know you'll have diarrhea. You're cold. You're shivering. You're sweating. You're you know sometimes you can't think straight. You know it's the almost the fear of withdrawal is is greater than the fear of death. Wow. Do you think that the amount of money that has come into the community from pandemic relief programs, primarily the CERB, the uh, the emergency relief benefit, do you think yeah. that, is that fueling, do you think, drug use? Like, are people getting CERB payments and, and using that to uh, using that money to buy dangerous drugs? You know what? Drugs? The fentanyl crisis happened way before the CERB payments were coming out. Yeah. To me, I think that, that for a, mo- a lot of people, that's been the best thing that could have ever happened to them is being able to have this this amount of money come in but and also a lot a lot of people they can't access the serve because they're they haven't been working so they're not actually even they're not eligible for it so when i hear people saying that oh with a serve the money that uh, as far as i'm concerned i think that's a definitely wrong view to have the fentanyl crisis has been going on as far as i'm concerned since 2014 Okay, let when me let me play. switch from methadone to methadote, which, would, as far as I'm concerned, is a second grade medication, which right. I'm actually in a class action lawsuit right now against the Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals and the province of British Columbia because um, 75 to 80 percent of the people that were on a medication that was working for them as an opiate replacement either relapsed back to heroin and now to the tainted drugs and have died or went up in their prescriptions thinking that, you know, that was going to help their medication last them longer. Hey, Laura, uh, on the show yesterday, I interviewed Terry Lake. He's the former Minister of Health in British Columbia, and we were talking about this issue. He thinks that the CERB money, we were talking earlier about the CERB payments that have come, that have a lot of millions of Canadians are collecting right now. He thinks that that isn't uh, a factor here in the overdose death death rate that we're seeing. I just want to play you this clip here and then get your thoughts on it. This is Terry Lake yesterday. The increase in money in the system may be a factor as well. Talking to uh, harm reduction and housing providers in the interior of B.C., They've had first-hand experience with this, where their vulnerable clients all of a sudden have a lot of money, 
and often have been encouraged to apply for CERB, even though they may not qualify, by those willing uh, and, and wanting to sell them illicit drugs. When we have check issue day, for instance, for income assistance, that we tend to get an increase in overdose deaths. Okay, Laura, you're on the front lines there on this issue. What do you think of that? You don't think that's correct, right? So, you know, I, I, I have to say that there's, you know, I'm sure that, that it's contributed a little bit, but the thing is is that I want people to focus on the fact that we have been having a fentanyl crisis now and overdose since 2016. Yeah. Okay, there's still, actually, I think 2014, but there's still 11 people a day in Canada dying whether they're a serve or not, the point is, is that this this may have con- this may have contributed a little bit, but the, but there's still um, an extreme extreme overlaying problem that is not going away, and and that is worse. So instead of focusing on the serve, which is may may yes maybe it has contributed a bit, but we need to focus on what is what is actually. You know, there is that people don't have the choices or the access to the proper opiate replacement medications that they need, which is actual prescription heroin. Right. Now, the government has said that they're trying to make that available. But in your experience, you touched on this earlier. What, what do you think needs to be done? You think that there's has to, the government what has to do a better job making making these prescription drugs available to people? Well, for sure. And they just need to, you know. We do have people that are on prescription heroin here in Vancouver already. Right. Also, I was part author um, with the BC Center in Substance Use um, on what we called the Heroin Compassion Club, which is the same type of model as the Marijuana Compassion Club, um, where people could access um, prescription heroin um, at a much cheaper cost and much safer. And I, all that needs to happen is that, you know, Health Canada needs to implement this. We know that it's shown that when people are able to access these medications, their lives change. It saves lives, gives them better quality of life. Instead of breaking into your car, they're driving their own. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that the they need to listen to the people that are affected the most because without us, you can't make a program or decide what a program is going to work the best unless you do, and we've been speaking about this for years. Um, and I think using the server, saying that the service is one of the biggest contributors is is just, you know, almost point trying to push the view onto something else again instead of just actually focusing on the people that are dying or the people that are going to die today. Because I know right now that today there's going to be five people dead from a fentanyl overdose. Yeah. Yeah, that's certainly been the, the the average numbers for sure. What about um, treatment and recovery? Like sometimes I hear people say, "Why don't we do more to get people off drugs? Can we can we invest more in treatment? Can we invest more in recovery?" Do you think? I know that you you kicked heroin at one point, right? I mean, you got clean yourself I, at one point. I sure did. And yeah. what and you know what I did do is I went on to a prescription um, opiate replacement therapy. Um, you know, recognized as a recovery drug by the um, Health Canada, and then... That was methadone, right? That's right. And then was switched on to methadose, where within six days I relapsed and have been using injection heroin ever since. So as a recovery, you know, for everybody, recovery means a different thing. 
for me, recovery was was being put on methadone, was being able to work at the Vancouver area network of drug users. Because as soon as I did, I stopped going to jail. I stopped ca- doing crime. Yes, still using illicit drugs, but using them in a different way. You know, I have a almost a full-time job that I've had for almost 12 years, you know, um, and I, I'm, I'm able to function, um, you know, with a harm reduction model instead of, um, I guess, um, I don't know how to explain it, but, but, um, yes, everybody needs, there needs to be different choices. So being a recovery model, it depends. Everybody's recovery is different being on, um, um, a safe supply is a recovery for some people and we'll take them off the street and we'll stop them from using illicit and deadly drugs. Okay, last last question for you, Laura. With with the dangerous drug supply out on, on the streets, I mean, if you tell someone who's in the grip a grip of addiction, look, it's, you're, you're risking your life if you take these drugs. Is that going to make any difference? Like, is it does it make any difference to, for an awareness program to just tell people how dangerous the drugs are, to tell people not to use alone? Does that help? I think, I think showing them how to use safely, showing them where they can use, where they don't have to be alone, and yeah. as well as um, you know, looking, into, looking into the different programs to help people that live alone or that are going to use alone, you don't have to do that, where they can be safe. You know, you can always... Yeah. Two holes in the arm is better than one hole in the ground, meaning you can always use more, you can never use less. Laura, thank you for coming on today. I hope better days are ahead for everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. It's time for Baldry's Beat with Keith Baldry, Global BC Legislative Bureau Chief. Good morning, Keith. Morning, Smitty. So let's talk about the Trudeau announcement this morning mm-hmm. on the border continuing to be shut down. So Trudeau announced this morning that the in agreement with the Americans, the, abor- the border remains closed to non-essential travel. Here is Trudeau uh, making the announcement. I can now confirm that Canada and the United States have once again agreed to extend by 30 days until July 21st, the current measures in place along our border. This is an important decision that will keep people in both of our countries safe. Okay, he sounds very pleased about that. Well, kind of a no-brainer uh, from, from both sides' perspective. you still got high COVID-19 cases in, in Quebec and Ontario, but we've also got unbelievable spikes in cases in the United States right now, uh, COVID-19 is is rampaging through the U.S. Washington State, every day my email gets, uh, my inbox gets an email from the Seattle Times, uh, which updates me on the Washington State numbers. Yesterday, 324 new cases. Like every day deaths. there's like 320 yeah. cases. Yeah, and, and they've been they've been spiking upwards. Now, they do more testing, as I yeah. pointed out before, than, B, than BC does, but they're also uh, higher hospitalization rates. And much higher death rates in Washington, and that's just Washington State. That's one border state. So Michigan, New York, uh, everyone's still experiencing high high numbers. And so again, I, I'd be very surprised if the border opens up um, before late fall. <coughs> if if even even then, <coughs> it's conceivable it could go for quite a long time. And it's interesting how many people I've I've <laughs> corresponding with who email me or or tweet me about how angst-ridden they are about the border opening, and including with Alberta. I mean, the Alberta border is not shut, but people are worried about Albertans well, coming what, what is the Albertan? What are the Alberta numbers like? Alberta numbers are spiking upwards as well. Really? Uh, wow. They've got uh, 360 active cases, I think, of COVID-19. We've got 182. But it's interesting, Edmonton is suddenly, uh, which was sort of a COVID-free uh, place for a while, has gone from... I think something like 49 active cases to 149 active cases in uh, in three weeks. So COVID's on the rise in Alberta, not to an alarming degree. But I think people 
I wouldn't say attach the word hysteria to the border, but people get really upset when you talk about the border. They're they're worried about U.S. license plates, you know, seeing them in in British Columbia when they don't necessarily know the backstory of how those license plates got Okay, well, we're going to be talking about that later on the show. Mm -hmm. Are American tourists actually sneaking across the border to do a vacation here? And we've heard the famous story whether... has it been to Alaska. Yeah, has this been confirmed or is this an apocryphal type story? Like, this is the people who show up at the border and they say, we're going to Alaska to visit Uncle Jim or whatever, and they say they wave them into the country and then they go camping. I think it's become a bit of an urban legend that this one uh, family from Texas that got in and, and <laughs> arguing that we're gone on their way to Alaska and now they're camping in Banff. How many people have attached themselves to that one particular story as if that's happening everywhere? I've not seen any evidence. Trudeau that said they're happening. looking into it. I think they're going to be look, talking to uh, Canada Border, Ser- <coughs> Border Services to um, potentially tighten exactly um, the rules of, of coming in. I mean, this dodge about, I'm just trying to get to Alaska, uh, uh, strikes many people as ringing a little hollow. But I don't think you're seeing thousands of people. No, but you know what? If I was in the United States and I saw the COVID numbers there and I compare it yeah. to what's going on in British Columbia, why wouldn't I want to go camping in, in Banff or, Brit- or B.C.? You know, yeah, but again, does, is it happening with thousands of people, or are we talking scores yeah. of people? And I think that's the big difference. I saw a license plate in Victoria uh, a couple of days ago on the weekend, Texas license plate, and it just, I just, I thought, boy, that's strange. I wonder, I wonder what they're doing here. Do you think that, um, like you mentioned, that people should not jump to conclusions? Like, I don't know, are there any reports of people like confronting people who have got an American license plate and say, what are you doing here? Yeah, n- not yet, but I think we may be getting to that point. It was interesting. We put those questions to Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix yesterday about about this, and Bonnie Henry's view is, look, you don't know the backstory here. You don't know why they're here. Don't jump to conclusions. That's been her, her, her um, view from day one. You know, don't jump to conclusions of why someone's on a BC ferry. I mean, or why they're going to Seashell. They may be going there because of urgent family reasons or, or essential travel. And that may be the They case. may have been here be- before the pandemic, I, possibly. I point out to people, in my neighborhood in Victoria, there are two Washington State plate cars that have been there since before the pandemic. Wow. Uh, okay. They're not, uh, I don't know who they are, but they've been parked uh, on the streets. Uh, but they're not recent arrivals. So again, it hasn't to draw conclusions about why someone is, is where they are, uh, but it's certainly open to investigation or questioning by Canada Border Services. But I will be speaking to Nathan Cullen later on the show. He's the former NDP MP up in Skeena, and he has been tweeting about this saying that they there's a lot of people who want stricter border measures because they see these license plates in northern mm-hmm. British Columbia, and they're wondering what's going on. So there are there are legit concerns about. Oh sure, there. sure. Uh, I I think Canada Border Services uh, should probably answer some questions here. Uh, exactly, what are they asking people at, at the border? You're not supposed to be able to cross unless you're an essential service worker, and that's a pretty broad designation. You know, we're not talking healthcare workers here. It's commercial uh, truckers. And other people who can who can establish their bona fides as an essential service, but the argument of being able to, to I got to come into BC because I got to get to Alaska strikes me as a rather novel. What about the exception for immediate family members that was mentioned? Yeah, that's uh, that that was a, a recent uh, modification of the rule, but uh, the numbers I've seen on that is pretty small. I think the highest number I've seen in terms of estimate number of people affected by it is 1,500 across the entire country, which is not a big number. Uh, you've also got the situation at Peace Portal. There's got to be Park. more There's got to be more people than 1,500 people who got immediate family members in the States. Oh, we're talking, in terms of immediate family, we're talking spouse or, um, or uh, 
uh, uh, children. I, I'm yeah. not sure that okay. many people would well, be beyond right. that 1,500. Okay. Um, Trudeau has announced an extension to the CERB. Okay, so a lot of people... As we predicted yesterday. Yeah, okay, not a big... uh, (laughs) You weren't exactly being the amazing Kreskin there, making making that prediction. (laughs) But uh, although some people have said that the CERB has unintended consequences that are bad for the economy too, like if people don't want to go back to work. Yep. Yeah, Um, no, we talked to some um, uh, small business owners, you know, cafes and such, uh, who say, whose employees are part-time Staff, by and large, I mean, that's that's how small businesses operate. You don't employ someone 40 hours a week. And they're not hiring, they can't get their staff back because they're getting more from the CERB than they would be uh, on the job site. Okay. That's, a, that's an interesting, uh, you know, I'm not surprised CERB's extended. I'd be interested if, after the next uh, eight weeks, when we look at it again, whether it's extended at a smaller amount. Let's listen to Trudeau here announcing the extension of the CERB. Today... I am announcing that we will be extending eligibility for the CERB by eight weeks. So if you've been getting the CERB and you still can't work because you're unable to find a job or it's just not possible, you will keep getting that $2,000 a month. Over the next few weeks, our government will look at international best practices and monitor the the economy and the progression of the virus to see what changes, if any, need to be made to the program so that more people are properly supported. Billions of dollars. Yeah. Billions. You know, the, the billions of dollars aspect of this is mind-boggling, but I think people are more fixated on the CERB than they are on the, on the debt that this, uh, uh, th- this incurs. You know, CERB, which wasn't even a word before yeah. the pandemic, is now arguably one of the most populous, popular things in Canada. I mean, we're talking millions of people. Yeah, like 8 million or more. Benefiting from yeah. this. I mean, we basically have a guaranteed annual income, even though we're not quite at the annual part yet, but we have a guaranteed income program which was unheard of. Well, it was debated for years, for decades, and it was never seemed to be getting off the ground, and now it's just part of life. Okay, the good news is that we continue to be pretty good in containing the virus and flattening the curve here in British Columbia, right? And let's talk about the BC Restart Plan for getting the economy opened again. So we're right now we're still in Phase 2. Phase 3, that's the one where the government would say it's okay to travel within British Columbia, non-essential travel, so go on vacation in BC. Lots of people are booking mm-hmm. vacations, by the way, in British within British Columbia. Oh, I had a I had a colleague yesterday telling me she and her husband are trying to book uh, places in the Okanagan, Osoyoos and such, and everything's completely booked up. Booked up. Wow. Um, so it's, it's encouraging that British Columbians appear to be about to uh, travel quite a bit and do staycations within British Columbia. Interestingly, yesterday... But we're still in phase two. We're still in phase two. Right? And when both, is phase three? I asked Bonnie Henry that yesterday, can you put a date on this? And yeah. she's. And it's interesting, phase two, there was a date for phase two, it was May 19th. May 19th yeah. was phase two reopening. Uh, Dr. Henry is reluctant to put a date on phase three. It's going to be a slow emergence. It's uh, it's a, um, a it's not a flick of a switch. It's a dimmer switch, is how she puts it. Um, so <laughs> she does have a turn of phrase. Sometimes. She does, and it's uh, so it's going to be open. So if you go on the government website and look at what is phase three, phase three is. Uh, more provincial parks and campgrounds open. Uh, hotels and resorts open. Um, travel is... Uh, non-essential travel non-essential within travel the province. Within the province. Uh, the film industry, domestic film production, right. is supposed to open up. Uh, why they pick that particular sector more than any other is not clear. Movie theaters... Because there's a uh, lot of jobs there, I guess. Yeah. Uh, some entertainment, such as movie theaters and symphonies, are supposed to reopen, but that's not till July. Uh, but there's no firm date on this. It was supposed it, to be mid-June. Well, if you if you look at the... Which is now. She wants two incubation periods to pass 
between the reopening of May 19th and phase three. So that would put, uh, that's 28 days. That means the 29th day by my reckoning would be Wednesday, this Wednesday, like right. tomorrow. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting today, today's briefing, whether she says tomorrow's a go. I have a feeling she's going to say no, this is a mm. slow reopening. A lot of people are anticipating that, that he'll, she'll announce this week that we're in phase three. Yeah, uh, that's, but yesterday she had a chance to do that. Uh, took uh, both myself and Binder Sage and it's CTV put questions to her on that front, and uh, she wouldn't name a date. Oh, lots of calls right to them. Jim in Cloverdale, hi. Hey guys, thank you for calling, or let me take the chance to call you. Listen sure. to the serve thing. You, you guys are forgetting that it's undersubscribed and it's helping small mom and pop owners who have businesses that can't access the loan program because they don't have huge payrolls. And there's tens of thousands of people that have no way to pay rent if they're in an office or if they're at home and they got expenses. I mean, let's not forget those that are forgotten and let's remember the serve has not been fully subscribed. So, it's not like the government's at the budget or over its budget already. So please support us, people out there. Thanks. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, you know, I'm, well, not, I, I'm not saying cut off the CERB. No, quite the opposite. I've been saying we need something like CERB from day one. I mean, this when you've got millions of people suddenly plunged into unemployment, uh, the government has to find a way to allow these people to keep their heads uh, above water. And that, that's what the CERB's doing. So I'm not surprised at all the CERB's ex- extended. And I'd be, uh, I think I'd be critical if it wasn't extended. I think no. I don't think there's anyone, not even the conservatives who were, you know, real hawks on budget deficits and stuff. Uh, not even they are calling for the serve to be canceled. I mean, they were saying like rain in fraud and, uh, sure. you know, we should crack down on, on fraud, but they, they, nobody's, I don't think there's any major nobody's, politician that said cancel it. Nobody's calling on the Trudeau government to cancel serve. Quite the opposite. Ingo in Porco Quitlam. Hi. Hi, how are you? Um, I'm good. In a, in a prior life, I uh, I spent 27 years active duty in the U.S. Army, um, and and I currently have a son stationed up there in the Air Force, also in the U.S. Air Force. Um, yeah. This time, we have four large bases in, in in Alaska, two Army and two Air Force, and during the summer months and the spring months, uh, you know, in excess of uh, 10,000 active duty service members and their families, plus DOD civilians, uh, are, are transferred to Alaska and, and to other bases from Alaska. And uh, in, in, in the bulk of those people will drive their personal vehicles and have to go through Canada. My, my son is one of those. He's moving to South Dakota uh, in the next couple of weeks, and they actually have orders with authorization approved by, uh, um, by the Canadian border people that they can drive through Canada uh, to accomplish that move. So I don't okay. know how many people this might be. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of these people are being seen or caught up in this whole mess. But uh, I think uh, I figure I could shed a little bit of light perhaps on, on why you might see a lot of American plated vehicles over here. Okay. Thank you for a really good call. Uh, and that's, that's uh, a great uh, example uh, yeah. of uh, what Canadian Border Services de- deem to be permissible travel. Well, that's fine. I mean, if you've got like a legit reason like that and you present proof of that, your, show your or, your military orders, that's fine. But I, I guess the the speculation is, are, are there other people who are misrepresenting at the border oh, where they're, they're going I mean, or what they're there doing? There are consequences. I mean, anybody who's crossed a border, um, 
you don't lie to a border agent. You, oh, yeah. you take your chances yeah. big time. If you yeah. if you mislead a border agent, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Sure. And uh, I just, I, again, that alone tells me not a lot of people are going to be risking that by lying to border agents about their reasons for trying to cross the border. As caller says, I mean, if you, I, I have no reason to doubt his numbers, but 10,000 people is a lot of people. Uh, if that's how many people are in Alaska who need to, need yeah, to travel. Yeah, that is a lot. But uh, again... Uh, I, I'm with Dr. Bunny Henry on this. Don't jump to conclusions when you see a foreign license plate, whether it's out of province or out of country. I they believe they got a, for legitimate reasons. They got lots of COVID in Alaska, I believe. Yep. No, America, you know, it's a different world when it comes to restrictions and, and public health measures and trying to contain COVID. Let's go to David on the open line in White Rock. Hi, David. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. Just to shed a little bit of light, a couple of friends and I went up to uh, Cypress Provincial Park on Sunday for a hike. And uh, there were license plates up there from Washington State, Idaho, Utah, and Texas. Wow. If if they're going to Alaska, they seem to be lost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe they're in the military and they're heading up to the military yeah. base. Uh, I, I don't know. I, again, this is all anecdotal. Um, yeah. We don't know what the backstories are in some of these cases. But I think now that Trudeau has signaled that he wants to look into some of this, the Canada Border Services are probably going to tighten things up. Keith, thanks for coming in. Talk to you tomorrow. All right, that's Keith Baldry, and that is Baldry's Beat. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau this morning uh, confirming a continuing shutdown of the Canada-U.S. border, all restricted to uh, essential uh, border crossers only. That is another 30-day extension in agreement with the United States. It will keep the border restrictions in place until July 21st. I suspect it could be extended beyond that have a listen to this now here is trudeau talking about he was asked about the rising rates of covid19 south of the border in the united states and the need to keep that border locked down here's trudeau it is clear that there is a broad consensus uh, across the provinces that uh, we need to continue to keep our current border measures in place we will keep uh, discussing with uh, with the uh, united states administration on ways forward uh, but our priority on this is to ensure that we're keeping Canadians safe while continuing to ensure the flow of essential goods and services. Okay, despite that, though, we hear reports of Americans possibly getting across the border by misrepresenting or lying to border officials. Are some Americans coming to the border and say that they're just driving through Canada on their way to Alaska, but then actually going on vacation in Canada? Global News reporting earlier this week, quoting a RCMP officer in Banff, uh, that they were aware of a group of four people from Texas who told uh, restaurant servers in Banff, Alberta, that they told border officials they were driving to Alaska when, in fact, they were planning to go on vacation in Canada. And that's what they were doing. They were on holiday. Is that really happening? There's lots of anecdotal evidence out there. Uh, but is it really going on? Let's check in with Nathan Cullen now. He's the former NDP MP in the riding of Skeena, Bulkley Valley. I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Nathan, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's great to be here, Mike. Okay, you've been uh, talking about this on social media. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, first things first, I think BC in particular, I, I think many people feel we've done a good job. Certainly, we've sacrificed a lot to try to keep this thing under check and get our numbers down and touch wood, I say this with all the caution you need to, um, we seem to be on the right path in terms of flattening curve and Dr. Bonnie Henry and Premier Horgan, Adrian Dix, all done great work. Uh, that can't be said of our uh, neighbors to the south in particular. It's, it seems to be a, a hodgepodge, right? A, a, a bit of a mess, even as they've 
dealt with the coronavirus. Certainly Trump's leadership hasn't helped. And state by state, you have really uh, policies that we would never allow in B.C. So we've closed our border. The prime minister announces that extension today. I think most Canadians uh, realize that that sacrifice has to keep going. And a lot of families can't go and visit people across the border. As we know, we're very connected countries. Right. If it, all it takes, though, to to break through that seal is uh, putting your hand on your heart and saying, I promise to drive on through to Alaska and only eat takeout. And we say, OK, and now they're, Americans are coming through. Uh, we've heard stories uh, all the way from Quinnell, Prince George, up through Smithers, where I live here, um, of people kind of bragging about it a bit, you know, back home in Texas or California or where they're coming from. It's a mess. It's so nice to come up here to BC where you guys seem to have things under control. So I understand the uh, impulse to want to visit our beautiful province, to want to maybe get out of the madness of some of the stuff going on in the U.S. Right. But now you're really incurring risk onto Canada. And I guess if our border is closed, then it has to be closed. And if it's not, then it's not. And I just don't know if a, a pinky swear at the border uh, should be enough to get through uh, while other people have been making all these sacrifices to keep us safe. Okay, what are you hearing from people up in, in northern British Columbia where you are? I mean, are you guys seeing out-of-province license oh, plates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not. I wouldn't say a ton, and I think some people are kind of, you know, keeping to the some of the campgrounds and stuff that have been open, keeping it a bit quiet. I heard from somebody the other day that they, they saw a plate, but they, the person had kind of covered it up a little bit. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is this is not something I don't think people are, are floating. It's yeah. more, uh, especially RVers and people who do the, the travel into BC or maybe sometimes Yukon, Alaska. It's a network, right? They're all talking to people on social media and, and Facebook. And so my worry is that this becomes a way that people can travel. They just, they know all they have to do is make this promise and you can get through. Is that the and rule? It, it, like, what is the rule at the border? Do you have to present any sort of proof of what you're, where no. you're going, what you're doing? No, no, no. Well, our understanding is that if uh, it's, it's, it's a conversation, I guess. I mean, there, there are people traveling, right, for essential services, delivering sure. food. We know that, right? right? So those people clearly are able to present themselves as doing what we've decided is valuable work and need the, the border open for them. Our understanding from uh, border services is that they question people, um, and if they say they understand, they're supposed to tap their card at the gas station. They're they're supposed to not try and stay in hotels, whatever that means. I mean, unless you have your own sleeping with you, then I don't know where they're staying on their way through. Um, but if you make claim that you're headed to Alaska and that's your plan, as far as we can tell, that's enough. Okay, I had and a that, call. I had a call earlier today. <laughs> I had a call earlier today on the show, Nathan, from, saying from a guy who said he had a family member who serves in the U.S. military, and there's some large military bases in Alaska, and it's not unusual for U.S. military personnel to to drive through the province to right. get to get to a U.S. military base. But you know, if someone was legitimately traveling like that on a, on a on a military assignment, you'd think they would have orders or papers they could show at the border. Like, do you think they need to have like some uh, close, some tougher restrictions at the border? I, I think um, that, you know, someone's got, you know, transfer papers and they're, yeah, they're yeah. headed to Fairbanks, they're headed to Alaska for this. You could probably decide whether you're making that exception. Is is that an essential service? Do we want to do that? Could, could flying, because there's obviously flights from Seattle or 
whatnot up right through to Alaska. They don't stop sure. in BC. Right. But it's it right now. If you just simply say our plan is to drive the I don't know what how many kilometers you have to drive eighteen hundred like two thousand. It's a it's a good drive. Sure. Um, but that's not my worry. Even the transit people. I guess that's a bit of a problem. It's folks that just have no intention of doing that at all. They just want to go to BC. And I get it. Again, I understand the motivation. My problem is it puts us all at risk after months of these real sacrifices we've made as a province and as a country trying to keep ourselves safe. We, we shouldn't be opening up this way. We should, we should make sure that that is wh- what can we put in place, I guess, is my question to the government to not allow that to happen because I think it's a reasonable thing to say to our American friends, love you to visit, just not right now. Right. Speaking of Nathan Cullen, he's the former MP in Skeena, Bulkley Valley. Uh, Trudeau was asked about this issue yesterday and let's have a listen to his response here. This is Trudeau talking about those American tourists probably possibly sneaking across the border into Canada. Here's Trudeau. Obviously, we've heard uh, those reports over the past few days and are looking into them. I think uh, as we continue our conversations with the Americans, as we uh, look at uh, adjusting or shifting our posture in certain ways, we need to make sure that we're able to apply the rules consistently and that we're doing everything necessary to keep Canadians safe at this important time. Okay, do you think he's doing everything necessary, Nathan Collin? Well, that that sounded nice, uh, but I'm... But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm looking for something specific. So yeah. in this scenario, someone rolls up to the border, is asked by the Canadian Border Service Agency, where are you headed? They say Alaska. We say, okay. Come on. And then they pass through. Like, yeah. that is uh, my understanding, and I could be wrong, and someone's going to phone your show and tell you he's full of it. Uh, as far as I can tell from the CBSA reports, that's what the scenario is right now. So the Prime Minister has to say either that's okay, and we run the risk of people lying, which... God forbid, but sometimes they do at the border, or we're going to have a new protocol. We need some sort of proof. We need some sort of, here's my hotel booking in Alaska. Here's, and, and can we, did they give us their cell phone and we phone them up? Can, you know, something. I just think, like, we've, we've done so much. We've, yeah. It's cost us so much that this seems ridiculous that we would have anything close to a border that was porous uh, with this relatively easy thing to do, which is just make up a story that you're planning to go to Alaska. It doesn't take much. All right, especially when you take a look at the rate of COVID-19 infections south of the border, yes, where they passed 2 million infections, and we see many right. states that are spiking. So, um, including in Alaska, what, what are the, what's, the rate, what's the rate of infection in Alaska? There were some new numbers it's, on that, I believe. Yeah, the, the numbers are up. They're relatively low. If you compare it to, obviously, New York and some of the real outbreak places, Alaska's done fairly well. Um, but they're they're the highest they've been since the beginning of this. It, it that's bad. They're trending in the wrong way. Um, as are some of the U.S. states with governors who have said, "I don't care about the science. I want to open." And they've been opening, and yes. they're now seeing spikes out of places that do generate a lot of tourists that come through BC and Alberta. So, um, again, if if the Americans had an equivalent policy to us, if their numbers were trending the way BC was doing. I think most people listening to your show would say, hey, come on, it's, it's equivalent risk. That's, that's actually not the case. And with the administration and the leadership in the U.S. right now, if you allow people to come through just with a wink and a nod or a promise that can't be proven, then we're accepting their risk level into our communities. And up here, small town B.C., we, we can't 
you know, handle a couple super spreaders coming through, that would just overwhelm what we've got. So why take that risk? Why not have something a little bit tighter at the border rather than just a, a, a promise? Really, really interesting take on it. Thank you, Nathan, for coming on the show today. Anytime, Mike. Well, we're talking about those American tourists. Are they really coming across the border, misrepresenting themselves to a border official? That's serious business when you do that. But there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out about that. Is it really happening? The federal government says they're looking into it. Let's check in now with Alexander Stoichevich. He is an immigration lawyer. He's a partner at MKS Immigration Lawyers. Alexander, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, nice for ha- thanks for having me. Alexander, what are you hearing from your sources on this? Are, are American tourists really sneaking across the border? What have you heard? Okay, so I, I've got to tell you that in our region here, I think um, there this is a can't be more than a handful of people. There has been very little in the way of traffic crossing the border that's been turned away. Um, so, so if if there were people that that were being let in. Right. Yeah. We wouldn't be getting calls from people being stopped the way we are. So, um, you know, the, the fact that uh, me and my colleagues in the, you know, in the immigration law bar are getting calls from Blaine with people being told that they can't cross to go to Alaska uh, suggests to me that enforcement is happening of this and that it's more likely that the majority of people aren't being let in, not the other way around. Okay, that's very interesting to hear. What are the rules on this? So, if, like, if you roll up to the border in Blaine, Washington, or, or some other border crossing, and you say, okay, I want to come into Canada, but it's okay, I'm just driving to Alaska to see family there or something, like, what is the rule? Are you, are you, do they wave you into the country, or what happens then? Well, you've got to have... Your, that is actually a permissible travel, because it's seen as essential. But... Yeah. Um, they're supposed to follow up and ask you as to what the plan is to get you to Alaska. Do you have a home there? Um, is there legitimately family? Um, they're asking people for proof of this in certain circumstances. I mean, I had a call from someone who was turned away um, in exactly this situation because they didn't believe that the person was going to Alaska. Wow. Um, that didn't make social media, but it sure got a phone call to my office. So, um, and the person was eventually readmitted when they proved that they actually owned a home in Alaska, right? So if if you're coming up and saying, again, this story that came out of Alberta, that wasn't even from our region. That was Canada Border Services at Coots, is my understanding, that let that family in. And, you know, maybe that family was legitimately going to Alaska, but they stopped in Banff for a day and probably did what they were asked not to do by uh, the border agents, and my understanding is a foreign national who's crossing for this purpose is supposed to stick to basically gas stations and buying food and to not, um, not uh, spend much time in Canada during the transit period. Right. Uh, okay. How many people are crossing into the border, across the border? Have they released any kind of numbers or statistics on that? Um, I'm hearing anecdotally that uh, border traffic is down, like, 90% from what it would normally be this time of year. Yeah. Um, right. You do have certain essential travel that is happening. So um, the, the definition of essential has been broadened. For example, uh, if you have split custody situations uh, where you have custodial parents who live on different parts of the, different sides of the border and there's visitation rights affected from the other parent, etc., they are allowing 
that situation with the appropriate um, self-isolation rules on each side. Right. Um, they are also allowing um, travel in terms of, of business, uh, truckers, essential service workers. Um, they are allowing uh, people to come in uh, to do um, what's called after-sales service work, um, repairs and things of that nature. But obviously those are limited, right? That's not, right. That's not your, your tourist coming up to Canada or a business visitor who's coming up to take a look at a business that they're thinking of buying. This is you know, where there's already a contract in place and a worker's coming up to work on machinery or equipment. So uh, there, there are exceptions to the, to the travel ban, but they're very limited and they are required to provide self-isolation plans in, in many of these instances that I've outlined. Right. So and for the people who are calling your office, Alexander, and saying they're stuck at the border and they can't get across, what are some of the typical circumstances that, that people are describing to you for the reasons that they're stopped in the, in the, the minute we got left here? So uh, a lot of people are, for example, you know, I have a, a girlfriend up in Canada. I want to go visit her, but they're not married and they're not, you know, common law spouses. It's it's yeah. a it's a girlfriend relationship. That kind of that kind of situation. That's not is, that's not is, allowed, right? That's still not allowed, right? Right, right. So um, and you know, and then other situations where people don't have anybody here and they have a friend who wants to come help them or self isolate with them. Uh, particularly elderly people, there's a lot of calls from, from people like that who want to bring a friend up, or Canadians who have a, a, a family member stuck in the U.S. and they have nowhere else to bring them, and they want to bring them up to Canada to, to stay with them, given you know that the situation in the U.S. is much worse than it is up here. What about, okay, well, you've got 30 seconds. What if you own property in the United States and you're a Canadian, you want to go down and check on your property? Is that allowed, or they stop you? Right now, they're stopping you going into the U.S., is my understanding. However, there's a loophole, and that is if you fly to Seattle and, uh, you know, rent a car and then go check on your property that way, because oh. uh, the U.S. ban has not been, uh, is not being enforced on the air, air side. Wow, interesting. Alexander, thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. My pleasure. So let's talk now about, as promised, uh, this mysterious ICBC Monopoly game. If you give me a follow on Twitter, you will see a short video that I shot this morning of this board game, which is basically a knockoff of your classic Monopoly board game that everyone knows. But this game is called ICBC Monopoly. And... It's it's just basically a takedown of ICBC's monopoly on auto insurance in British Columbia. It's a pretty funny game, um, and just check it out on Twitter for me if you can at Mike Smith News on Twitter S M Y T H at Mike Smith News on Twitter, and you'll see a short video of this game. Now this game was mailed to my next guest, McLean K. Uh, from the Orca website. McClay, thank, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Okay, so let's talk about this game that you got in the mail. So all of a sudden this thing shows up in the mail uh, with no return address on it, so you don't know where it came from, right? Or you, at the time you didn't know. So t- tell, me, tell me the story. What happened? Well, that's exactly it. I got a knock on the door yesterday from Canada Post with a, a big package with no return address. Uh, you can imagine my surprise. Uh, and then even more surprised to open it up and find a, a fully functional board game. Right, and it says ICBC Monopoly, so I'm taking a look at some of the photos of it. We're going to paint a little word picture here for the listeners here, McLean, what this thing is like. So, I mean, this thing is like, okay, it's like a knockoff of a Monopoly game, but it's no cheap knockoff. I mean, this is a well, like the whole, it's the whole shebang here. It's got all the playing pieces, and you describe it to me, what it's like. 
I mean, you're right. It's it's a like a monopoly set. It's a game you can play. There are there's uh, there's money. There's pieces. There's property cards. There's uh, um, there's tokens to move around the board. Uh, there's instead of chance and community chest, I think it's ICBC renewal notice and mystery letter. So it's I mean it is a fully enclosed and playable game. Right, so it's got all the money. It's got the tokens. The, the game playing tokens are pretty funny too. Tell me about those. Yeah, there's uh, well, there's I mean, the one everyone's going to want to know. There's a dumpster fire. The dumpster fire, right? So it's got a little garbage dumpster with flames coming out of it. Yeah. There's uh, there's an uh, there's an MLA uh, which is a top hat. There's a broker which is a, a boat. There are three different ICBC employee tokens, which I thought was funny, and uh, a couple others. It's and do they got houses and hotels you put on the you can buy and stuff? It's actually just houses, and that um, I haven't okay. figured this out yet. But there's just one hotel. Um, just one hotel, but I, mm. I haven't figured that out yet. Okay, and then it's got like the chance and community chess uh, cards, but they're called something else. And I'm just looking through some of them right now. So one of them is ICBC renewal notice, pay nineteen hundred dollars. This is a good one. ICBC reports a three billion dollar loss. All pa- all players pay fifty dollars. ICBC risk premium, pay fifty dollars. And they're all like, you know, it's got it's got all like it's it's basically a takedown of ICBC, right? It's yeah, m- it's mocking ICBC. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I mean, it, we you play it for five minutes or even just go through the cards. It's very clear the message that they're trying to send here. Yeah, and the message is what we sh- it's time to break up the ICBC monopoly and give people choice in auto insurance. That's what they're trying to get across. Oh, yeah. No, this is, I don't think there's any question about that at all. I mean, they're doing it with their tongue in their cheek and they're, they're having some laughs doing it. It's, it's satire, but the message is clear. Right. Now, I guess the mystery of it is who made this thing. This, sh- this showed up at your home with no return address. Now, if, if I was going to be like uh, Sherlock Holmes and kind of try and sleuth this out, I would say that there are three obvious suspects if I was to guess who, who did this. My first guess might be the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, which has been very critical of the ICBC monopoly. And I contacted Chris Sims from there yesterday, and they denied it. They say they've got nothing to do with this. The BC Liberal Party, I thought, maybe, because they've talked about breaking up ICBC. But I don't know. I haven't talked to the Liberal Party, so I don't know what their position is on it. Is Do you know? I actually don't. Okay, so I don't know if there's been a firm denial from there. And the other one, of course, is the Insurance Bureau of Canada which represents private auto insurance companies across the country. And I, I contacted them, and the response I got was, no comment. <laughs> I, when I tweeted about it yesterday, I, I honestly had no idea who sent it, um, because I didn't know. No return address. Since then, I, after some calling around, I have found out, and I have uh, given my word that I will not reveal it as a, as a source. Um, that, <laughs> so I w- and I will respect that. But, so uh, if I had a dose of truth serum right now and I injected you, you could you'd be able to spill the beans. <laughs> I, you know, I, but I, I'm not going to. Pre- you're going to protect your sources. I am indeed. Okay, um, I got a pretty good idea. I think myself who 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 made this thing is this thing. This not here's the other thing I'm wondering about though. This is not an officially licensed product from Hasbro. It does not appear to be. No. No. <laughs> Which is probably a, a reason that there be a, whoever it is is being coy, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it, it looks for all intents and purposes like a monopoly board. This was sent to you obviously in in your capacity as a reporter. They're looking for publicity on this, and so uh, I don't know if any other reporters have received received these games in the mail. I suspect some of them might. 
I, I, that is my understanding, is that um, when I received it, as I say yesterday, I assumed that I would be one of many who received it. I mean, you've, you've seen the box, you've seen the package. It's way too in-depth. It's just fancy. Like, like yeah. this thing is not a cheap thing. Like, you, someone spent a lot of money to make these. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't just send it to one, and if you did, you wouldn't send it to me. So uh, I, I'm the, my understanding is there are others that are, will be receiving it, and I just got mine first through whatever quirk of Canada Post. Okay, so I got a feeling that these will be showing up in the mailboxes of other reports on British Columbia as someone trying to make a point here about about ICBC let's let's talk about the politics I mean the game the game thing is kind of fun and I hope I get one because I think it's kind of cool but um, tell me about let's talk about the politics of ICBC right now because right now we've had a lot of people have seen their auto insurance go up this is a hot political issue for this NDP government mm -hmm. the, the liberal opposition has talked a lot about reforming ICBC where do we stand on that what is what, what where are we at right now with ICBC well before the pandemic hit the big news was that the NDP were going to move ICBC to uh, what they don't want to call no-fault insurance um, but I mean ICBC was a, a huge issue in the last election the fact that there is a dumpster fire token in the game I just got tells you almost everything you need to know ICBC is not an issue that is going away anytime soon what is the official position of the liberals I on ICBC I actually don't know well I'll tell you what it is it's uh, <laughs> they will review ICBC ah, okay. okay so so what the liberals have said is that they want to do a full-on review of ICBC and they're not opposed to opening up ICBC to private sector competition I suspect the maker of the game would be very happy to hear that. I'm sure they would. So, uh, you know, and basically ICBC has a monopoly on basic auto insurance in British Columbia. And groups like the Insurance Bureau of Canada, representing the private insurance companies, they want a piece of that action. So they have been arguing, look, if ICBC is so great, let us compete against them and we'll see how great they are. So just let us compete against ICBC. And I suspect, you know, you may very well see the Liberals put that on the table for voters in this province. And I think ICBC could potentially be a, a key election issue oh, in, the, in the next election when we get there. I think it, it unquestionably will be. The, the problem is, is the rates do keep going up. Uh, no matter what the solution is or who's at fault, uh, people notice when they go to renew their, their driver's insurance. And it, it's jumped up by, you know, in some cases by quite a bit. Right. And the NDP, with David Eby, as, as the, who coined the famous dumpster fire phrase to yes. describe ICBC's finances, they're losing billions of dollars. I mean, his argument on it is that they've done a lot of work and they've, they've done a lot of reforms. They're bringing in no-fault auto insurance, as you mentioned. They've done a lot of other stuff. They've capped the payouts to lawyers and things. So they're saying they're trying to get on top of this dumpster fire and extinguish it. And uh, don't, be, don't be tempted to go to a private auto insurance model because that could be even worse. And they'll point to other provinces and say, you pay even more with private auto insurance. What do you think is the sort of the traction of, of these arguments? I mean, is this, a, is this a vote driver? Do you think for the liberals? Is that why the liberals are looking at this? They see this as a vote getter. Uh, I think it will be, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there's every, every month there's a new cohort of people who are renewing their auto insurance. And again, in some cases, not all, it's going up by quite a bit. And one of the things you see uh, in this game, for example, is the cards, they'll have a lot of facts about, oh, I don't know, uh, motorcycle insurance is higher than it needs to be to subsidize other vehicles. I don't know if that's true. It's a card I drew last night playing the game and things like that. You played, you actually played this thing last night. Oh, oh yeah, night. my wife and I played for about an hour. Uh, we, we had some chuckles at the cards and the pieces, and then we realized that we were just playing Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, it's basically, it's very, it is a Monopoly game after all. Um, um, 
which can go on forever. They yeah. can go on. You probably didn't finish the game. <laughs> no, How do you didn't. win the game, by the way? Oh, the rules say whoever goes insolvent last wins, which is basically, again, <laughs> how you win Monopoly. <laughs> and as another shot at ICBC, though, you know, yeah. saying they might be insolvent. Like, I'm looking at some of the letters here in the, or the cards in the game. So here's one that says, your local grocery store is paying more for ICBC insurance and passes the cost on to you. Pay $10. Then, it, then, of course, if you read further into the card, it's got shot, lots of shots at ICBC. ICBC is increasing its rates for business. You know, ICBC increases rates for drivers who use their cars for long commutes. Pay $20. This is ICBC's in, increasing their premium. So every card is like a shot at ICBC. Oh, here's one. Now, here's this is a dead giveaway, I think. So congratulations, you've shopped around for optional auto insurance and you've saved 25%. Receive $100. <laughs> I wonder who would want that message out there. I didn't get that card last night. I wish I did. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting. And so what are you going to do with this game? Are you going to sell it on eBay now? No, I'm gonna, okay. I, I've got a couple uh, Monopoly sets at home. Uh, you know, a Brewopoly. I've got Calgaryopoly from my uh, old days at home. This will occupy a, uh, a place with those. Right, until the until the copyright lawyers come knocking on your door, right? <laughs> if that happens, they're welcome to it. Okay, it's good evidence. All right, McLean, thanks for coming in to talk about it. Thanks for having All me. All right, that's McLean K. from the Orca. It is time for Believe BC as we talk about getting our economy up and running again. My guest is Sarah Hodson, President and CEO of Live Well Clinics. I'm very pleased to welcome her. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mike. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks a lot for doing this. Um, tell me yeah, all about uh, Live Well Clinics. What do you guys do there? Yeah, so we are the ultra-private gym for people with health concerns. Um, mm. So we are that place that people go to when maybe their doctor says, hey, your your blood pressure is getting up there, or you know, your, your cholesterol, those numbers are getting a bit high, and you should exercise more and, and eat healthier. And people kind of are left wondering, okay, where do I start and, and what do I do? And so um, our 14 lower mainland locations um, look to serve this type of a person um, to really empower them to work physical activity and healthy lifestyle habits into their life. Right. You work with a lot of seniors? Absolutely. Our, yeah. our main demographic of member really falls anywhere from um, 55 to 85 years old. Right, right. And for, uh, for a lot of people who are seniors and maybe they've got some health conditions, they might be in t a bit intimidated to go to their local rec center or to the Y or something and they want, they want to go to a gym where they're, they feel more welcome or, and the instructors are kind of in tune with their needs. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, gym intimidation is, is a big yeah. thing and people feeling like I need to be fit in order to go to the gym. Um, right. And really, I think people have looked at gyms as performance and physique. Um, and our focus is really health and about living right. life to the fullest, being able to play and engage with your grandkids, um, not necessarily kind of how much weight you can lift or how many push-ups you can do. Right. That's super important. How, do, how has the uh, COVID-19 pandemic affected your operations? Yeah, the, uh, the, the key question, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so we made the decision to close on Friday, March the 13th, um, right. and we just opened on Monday. So we were closed for a solid three months there. Wow. Um, and uh, our members have, have been phenomenal. Our members are very, very loyal um, to to our brand, and they're, they're absolute raving fans. And so um, we, we really kind of took a three-phased approach um, at being closed. Um, and I, I can't tell you that we had full visibility on the fact that it was going to be a three-phased approach when we first closed. Um, but we took the first step in that, which was 
um, you know, as most fitness companies did, we did kind of trans ev- transition everything to being online and remote for our members. Um, now, keep in mind that our members tend to be older aged adults and seniors, and so technology can be um, a bit of a barrier. But, um, you know, I really want to celebrate that our members really showed up and said we're willing to learn and, you know, we want to learn how to, you know, video conference with our grandkids. And so we're willing to learn how to video conference with you and how to do our exercises at home and continue to be healthy. Um, and for, for our population of, of member, um, you know, many of them have underlying health conditions, meaning that they were some of the most vulnerable population um, for COVID-19. Yet right. we know that exercise has such immunity boosting benefits that we didn't want our members to lose that. Um, so our members really leaned in and said, we're going to learn and we're going to we're going to do this. And 80 percent of our members um, participated in our online remote programming, um, which I believe is really just a testament to their dedication to, to their health, honestly. Right. Just got a minute and a half left here, Sarah. I'm speaking to Sarah Hodson. From, she's the president of Live Well Clinic. So are all your locations back up and running now? Yeah, so the majority of our um, 14 Lower Mainland locations um, are are back up and running. Um, we also have locations in Saskatchewan, Ontario. Um, and so over the, the next week or two, those will all be opening up. And so by the end of the month, we as a brand will be will be fully open. Right. And I guess you've got what cleaning protocols in place and stuff there to keep people safe. Absolutely. We took all of the health authority recommendations and WorkSafe BC, um, and we added a really um, uh, enhanced section to our website under safety um, on livewellclinic.ca to really inform our user and our member um, that we do take their safety as our priority. Right. I think a lot of senior citizens would benefit from exercise and maybe for people out there who think like, I can't do it. I, I you know, I'm not yeah. capable. People are, you can surprise yourself when you try exercising and moving. You can, a lot of people can do more than they think. Absolutely. And it's all about starting low and, and moving slow. And we don't right. have to run marathons or lift a hundred pounds to be, to be fit. Again, health okay. um, is the number one thing. Congratulations on opening again. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks for coming on. That is Sarah Hodson. She is the president and CEO of Live Well Clinics. Their doors back open to their members, which is good to hear. And that is the latest in our uh, our uh, uh, Believe BC segment as we continue to celebrate getting the economy rolling again here in British Columbia.